the Deeply Discussing Movie Podcast. Every week we discuss a movie and then one of us suggests the next movie for us to watch and discuss. All the movies are available from the major streaming services so that you can participate right along with us. I'm your host, Dale Maxfield. I'm joined by Christine Deacon. Hello. Alicia Walker. Hello. Josh Dean. Hi there. Nathan McKinney. Hi. And Zach Rowland. Hey. And today we're going to be talking about uh, <laughs> the movie. Today we're going to be talking about uh, Falling Down, where an ordinary man frustrated with various flaws he sees in society begins to psychotically and violently lash out against them. Uh, this was Zach's pick. Um, but first we're going to talk about recommendations for this week. Uh, we'll start with, uh, Christine, what did you see and where did you see it? So on Amazon prime, I watched, uh, what won't house exile or won't house in exile. Sorry. Uh, it's about the author PG Wodehouse uh, during world war two. Uh, he was, in uh in an internment camp there uh and or in brought from france in to an internment camp in germany and he uh wrote a little memoir type deal on his time spent there but in typical pg wodehouse fashion it was very humorous and making light of the whole situation and just to keep his mind off of it and keep everybody's spirits up uh, in the camp. So uh, when he was released, he was trying to uh, garner uh, just a little bit of cheer around the nation and tell everybody in America that he was doing all right that his spirits weren't broken from being in the camp. And, of course, it was being broadcast by the Germans, so it did not go over too well. Yeah, Uh, interesting. (laughs) I didn't know that he had been uh, in an internment camp. He's one of Hannah's favorite authors. Yeah. um, The G's and Wooster series they're they're big fans of. But it kind of sounds like uh, he might have inspired the plot of Life is Beautiful, (laughs) <laughs> a little bit. Um, so he was put on trial for treason. Yeah. Because of this, and uh, they never, uh, they never uh, kept those charges, but they never officially cleared his name over in England. Hmm. So he never returned to his homeland. He went to America. And lived out the rest of his life there. In exile. Interesting. Yeah. I might have to check that one out. Aaron, how about you? Uh, man, the other day I watched, um, I watched the new Resident Evil film. Uh huh. <laughs> I I can't I can't suggest it to anybody. It's trash. It's absolute <laughs> trash. <laughs> like it's, I, I, I know, I know, I know. Zach has seen it too, and he loves it. And recommended it on last week's show. Oh, I'm. Uh, I, I'm. We did aware. this on it's, purpose. It's so trash. <laughs> it's so trash. 
I um, I hated almost so every better or worse than the Mila Jovovich ones. It is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. <laughs> fired. One of the worst movies I've ever seen. It is terrible. The plot goes nowhere. There are characters that just appear, say one line, and then just disappear. And these are major characters. And it's it's just bad all around. There there are zombies that show up that look like they have they're they're just extras that got a little bit of flour on their face. To look yeah. pale. It's so bad. I mean, to be fair, that's kind of how the zombies in the original game looked. They didn't look like zombies. They looked like people who were just sick. How I, They were, like, made of five polygons, Zach. Like, but it, how I figure it went down is the, the director had, like, some epic script, like Jodorowsky's Dune, and... The, the the studio liked it and then gave him $200 and like a, a coupon booklet to make the movie because it, it was low budget. It was so bad. And he forgot to use the coupons, right? Coupon book. He forgot to use the coupon book. Like, it, and it wasn't even a good coupon book. It was like stuff for Bennigan's and, and Bennigan's <laughs> not even in the air. Like, it's, it's bad. Uh, it's bad and they should feel oh, bad. That's so good. Well, we all know that Aaron and I have had many differences in opinions <laughs> throughout our tenure together, so this is just fitting for the moment. So it's hard to believe it's worse than the Milojevovich movies, but... Thank okay. you! So, Zach, um, are you going to go out on a limb and say you love Bennigan's? I fucking love Bennigan's. <laughs> I love That place slaps! <laughs> I can't get enough of the Bennigan's, let me tell you. I'm oh, there yeah, every Saturday, Sunday, too. Get that Monte Cristo... Just harden those arteries. Delish. Shame. 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 Shame, shame, shame. Josh, how about you? Yeah, so uh, I also watched a horror movie this weekend. Uh, It's on Netflix. It's called A Classic Horror Story. Um, It's an Italian movie um, that takes some weird turns. Uh, I've got to say, it's also very gory. uh, Trigger warning for people who can't stand... uh, eyeball mutilation and uh things of that nature um it's uh, about this group of people um doing a ride share through the uh italian uh countryside and uh of course their camper breaks down and they wake up to find themselves in the middle of a field uh with just a lone house on the perimeter and uh the house is a house of horrors and uh they can't get out of the woods around the uh, field and it's it seems to be like one of those you've seen it a hundred times before type horror movies, but, uh, Oh, it's called a classic horror story is the name of the movie. And, um, yes, it's, uh, it's very good. Uh, it's, it goes some weird places, places you don't expect. And there was actually a hell yeah moment in it for me, which is rare for movies, uh, for me. But again, Netflix, uh, is where it's showing. And, um, not for everybody, by far, but uh, but a good horror movie. Right on. Nathan, how about you? Uh, you know, I see a lot of movies. Uh, <laughs> people know this about me. Like a Criterion collection of them? Uh, yeah, kind of. But like you know, that. occasionally I run across a movie that I should have watched a long damn time ago, and I didn't. Uh, I had never seen, up until this last week, The Third Man. 
Um, oh yeah. And I'll tell you what, like it's it was an instant classic in my book. Uh, I think I had avoided it honestly because I the first time I watched Citizen Kane. I didn't enjoy it because it's really dry and kind of a tedious ride. And it's hype. And so I was like, movie ever made. I don't really know that I'm really that interested in Orson Welles. So I've just kind of just put it on my back burner and then it's been hard to watch because it's not available. Blah, blah, blah. Come to find out as I'm watching this movie, it's not even an Orson Welles movie. He's like not even the main star and he's not yeah. the director. It's Carol Reed and it's a Joseph Cotton movie. And mm. It's amazing. Um, yeah. I love, I mean, I could go on and on and on. I'm sure everybody else in this podcast has already seen this because you're way better movie watchers than me. But um, I'm just going to say the cinematography is great. The script is great. Can't wait to watch it again. Yeah. Where'd my favorite Orson Welles performance is actually in Touch of Evil. That's good, too. Um, good not in Citizen Kane. I think Citizen Kane's a better made movie, but. Uh, I think as far as like what's a good Orson Welles movie is is Touch of Evil. If you liked uh, The Third Man, uh, if you also happen to like anything that Jack White has ever done on music, um, that's a huge influence on him. Uh, that's why he named his record label Third Man Records. I kind of assumed. And, and to be fair, just for the record, I do like Citizen Kane, but I think I like The Third Man a hell of a lot more. Oh yeah, can, so, sure. Can we also agree Would that you, Harry Lime is the best name? Uh, yes, ever. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Nathan. Uh, Nathan, where'd you see that at? Uh, actually, uh, we rented it on Amazon. Like I've been trying to get through these thirty movies of film noir. It was way close to the top because it's one of the many, many I hadn't seen. But it was one of those that, like, come on, get off your ass and see this movie. And, and yeah, so we we rented the damn thing. Hey except I'm imitating Zach now. So <laughs> I um, watched a movie on Blu-ray called Hopscotch that I had never heard of before, and it was Walter Matthau. Uh, and it's also got uh, British actress Glenda Jackson in it, and then it's got uh, Sam Waterston. So that's fun. And it's got a little Ned Beatty, because who doesn't need a little Ned Beatty? And it's kind of a farcical uh, little um, tromp around the world. Uh, Walter Matthau is essentially like a CIA agent who's getting older and whose methods are not approved uh, by his like, semi-new boss. And so they want to give him a desk job. And so he's kind of like, screw you guys, I quit. And he shreds his personnel file and he takes a bunch of stuff and then he leaves and he tromps around to different cities uh, around the world, Europe and whatever, and decides he's going to write his memoirs. And you can imagine Walter Matthau's memoirs, you know, saying this. And then he's like singing opera to himself through most of the movie and all kinds of fun stuff. And he's being very super Walter Matthau. And then he, um, so he threatens to write this book. And so he writes a chapter and then sends it to every uh, espionage agency in the world. Uh, a chapter that like talks about all these secret missions that jeopardize not only the CIA and, and what you know is known about what they've been doing, but also all these other agencies around the world. So everybody's trying to find him to stop him from writing new chapters. So he writes another chapter, he sends it to people, he goes to the next town, and he's like baiting everybody and making like a scavenger hunt to find him. And you know, they're going around wrong turns. You know, it's not 
super serious obviously it's kind of all in fun and jest even though it's joking about stuff in you know towards the end of the cold war but okay um and so it's just it's kind of light and fun and um and i think walter Matthau like could have just walked in without a script and probably just said whatever he wanted and improvised everything knowing the basic outline of the movie and just had a good old time and you get to see all these different places in the world it when you watch it it looks like it's like 1973 or 74 to me but it's 1980 which i was like really this came out in 1980 like i could have remembered this movie but i had no recollection of this movie ever existing so uh it's kind of fun and it's called hopscotch cool nice um, I went the HBO Max route and have been watching the newest season of Curb Your Enthusiasm, the Larry David joint. Uh, I think we're on season 11 now, I believe. Um, and man, I just continue to love that show. It makes me laugh out loud so often and so many times. Uh, just the dry sarcasm, the sense of ridiculousness. Um, I really love, too, that they kind of do you know the sort of bare bones structure of a scene where they'll you know give you the setup and then they just let people just go at it and just let them get crazy and have fun um you know improvising and things so it's one of the best improvised shows ever yeah oh, yeah it's great it's so good and it's it, it, it never i mean it the, they don't run out of stories to tell or behaviors to explore because larry is such a ridiculous person but sometimes what he says and does makes sense and you're like yeah. i wish i could be like that sometimes too but he just gets away with it because he's larry david it's, so yeah, true. it's the ultimate <laughs> it's the ultimate version of stand-up comedy it's a whole show about him and he's explaining to you through these other characters why he is the way he is yeah. But so much of it too is he acts on all the things that many of us think but would never act on or because of yeah. social more or, or whatever it is or worrying about what people would think. But like he's constantly doing things that you're like, that crossed my mind. I, I've thought about that. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's that's yeah. why he's such a hero yeah. to so many people. I mean, comedically too, like I stole a joke of his from a recent episode and I used it in an improv scene and it just crushed. And I was like, it's such a silly thing for, and I'm such a thief, but artists steal. So that's how it goes. But it was such a funny scene. And I, and it was just like, God, that's such a great thing to drop in the middle of a scene. And it just crushed. And everybody thought it was so funny. I'm like, One yeah, of the things that credit he does that, uh, that, that he he lets happen in the final edit of the show that a lot of improvised shows don't do is if he's in the scene and he finds someone else's improv genuinely funny, he laughs and mm -hmm. he leaves the laugh in. So it's like you don't have just this like super serious. It would be so awkward if it was just the serious bit of it, but him laughing at what's happening genuinely is just makes it perfect i know it makes it so much more realistic anyway because that's what we do when somebody says something really funny in a conversation we laugh yeah that's awesome so today's movie is falling down it was suggested by zach yeah so zach without spoiling anything please tell us uh why you recommended that we watch falling down Absolutely. It has been a movie that has been on my uh, just watch over and over again list 
since I was young. Um, I just love the story in general. Like it's it's a terrible story if you really like you're the, not terrible like bad, but like it, it's one of those things where it's like terrible to think about the things that happened throughout the film. But it it encapsulates that time period, especially in Los Angeles. And it really, when I first saw it, just left a lasting impression on me because it's probably one of Michael Douglas's best performances and hands down just gives you a world that you may never be able to see other than that one moment in time in the 90s. And I just thought that it it was it would be a fun film, fun film, uh, you know, an interesting film to to, to talk about because um, of its uh, cultural significance in cinema too. You know, just it, it, what it's done for a lot of films uh, then and now. Okay. Well, as the host, I am going to go first on this. A um, couple of things I I wrote down. Uh, Ohide, Joel Schumacher, misunderstood genius in my opinion. Uh, Michael Paul Chan, Masuka from Dexter to our listeners. And uh, Raymond J. Barry, who plays Raylan's father Arlo on Justified uh, here in a much younger role. Uh, The opening scene between Duvall, the linoleum salesman, and the cop is perfect. (laughs) Duvall on the phone with his wife and the lady cop also perfect uh duvall has a wife to take care of that anchors him douglas is disconnected from his wife and can't access his daughter adele uh douglas becomes passive and polite at first but when he's outnumbered by more threatening minorities he doesn't stay polite anymore uh maybe don't yell gun at an old cop just a tip (laughs) from me to you, uh, Mr. Lee from the store brings the problem to Duval. He has an advocate who speaks Korean, but nothing was stolen, so he has to go from robbery to assault. <laughs> uh, Michael Douglas's character always takes weapons away from people that he bests, and that way he's kind of doing a cop's job, but in a ruder, more effective scale. Achievement uh, unlocked. Every time, yeah. yes. Yeah. It stops working out at some point. Uh, one-to-one's pretty good, but it stops working out eventually. Um, Robert Duvall on the phone with his wife and the lady cop. Also perfect. <laughs> uh, at the midpoint, Douglas meets a real veteran who tries to befriend him. All the interactions so far have led to this. And because they see each other as equals for a minute, they help each other until Michael Douglas says, we are not the same. I am not a vigilante. I'm just trying to go my little gir- go to my little girl's birthday party. Um, so are we all? <laughs> once, uh, once, Michael Douglas says that in this country we have the right to disagree with each other. The vet turns against him, proving that they have the right to disagree with each other. (laughs) Um, The vet destroys the gift for the child, which just pushes Michael Douglas even further into the uh, in toward the climax. Uh, And then um, he Douglas kills him with the first weapon that he took. Uh, then uses the gun to shoot him, and this is his first lethal killing. So this is midway through the movie, almost exactly 
midway through uh, the movie. Duvall has better communication skills than the junior cop lady. Uh, he has a great line. Uh, Douglas does. I'm obsolete. I can't even support my daughter. And I'm the bad guy. How'd that happen? And uh, as he's falling into the water, I would have got you. Because <laughs> the, the spray gun gets, gets him little, in the face. Yeah, he gets a little squirt on the face. So Robert Duvall. Christine, how about you? What did so, you think? I I had not seen this movie before, obviously. Um, when it came out, I was very little. Um, yes, uh, so that might have been a little bit of a hindrance to me getting a chance to see this movie at an earlier age in my life. But uh, it, as Zach had said, it does show a specific point in our history and I realized that and I talked to my dad about this movie when he was asking me what we were watching for the podcast and he was like oh yeah did you know that movie was supposed to be a comedy originally but it definitely does have a darker tone to it doesn't it I was like yeah yeah it does (laughs) But like there's, there's some good comedic moments, yeah, though. Yeah, there are some good comedic moments. Uh, definitely at the fast food joint uh, when he was saying that uh, you call your boss by their last name, but like you talk to the fast food worker by their first name, just like they were in their group therapy with you or something. And it's like, okay. I, I can see how this was originally supposed to be a comedy, like, in these little moments here, and then all of a sudden, like, you start shooting up the place. Okay, well, that took a turn. Yeah, I mean, the, <laughs> the viewer is supposed to identify with Michael Douglas all the way through, and it's supposed to be a surprise that he's the bad guy at the end. That climax is supposed to be a surprise. Of course, we've all grown up on vigilante movies our whole life and we've grown up on Batman. So being on the side of the anti-hero isn't a new feeling for us. It's not a new concept for us. So it really takes those first two thirds of the movie before things start, you know, developing or start being, you know, potentially funny. Um, Mm -hmm. it's, It's just kind of a reminder of what things were like at the time. Yeah. Some of the things that he was saying, too, I was like, can kind of see my dad saying some of these things. It's kind of awkward, mm-hmm. but also I kind of get it. Like, <laughs> I could see how my dad, like, I wouldn't necessarily identify with this guy, but I could see where my dad would identify with this guy and how that would relate to this audience at the time. Yeah. I, I can also see how there's about a certain number of thousands of people that were at a certain place on a certain date this past year that could also identify with this guy. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like this is a dangerous movie in a way. I feel like it's like Fight Club a little bit where people take the wrong idea from it. Like uh, he's, I think this is supposed to be like a taxi driver type movie where you're watching a guy unravel through the whole movie and you're not supposed to, you're in his head, but it's not a pretty place to be. And when he's immediately attacking immigrants and uh, like, yes, he's right about, uh, you know, 
convenience store prices and everything like that. But he's got an ugly side to him almost from the very beginning, I feel like. And uh, it's by the end of it, you know, Duvall is the point of view character for the audience. And you're like, okay, but I can see people watching this and saying, yeah, yeah. Everything he's saying, I agree with. Yeah. This is America's gone to hell right now. And it's because of all these people. Yeah. Go ahead. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's sequels. (laughs) Right. Uh. Well, I I think, you know, where it kind of comes into play now is that, you know, the difference between Michael Douglas's character and the the pawn shop owner, the the veteran, is that the the veteran dresses in like military fatigues and Michael Douglas is dressed like he's going to a white collar job. And nowadays the fascists dress like Michael Douglas. They don't dress like veterans. Right? The you've got like the Proud Boys and groups yeah. like that that put a nice face on it. Culturally and socially, it has shifted drastically as to what that appearance looks like. Well, but mm-hmm. Michael Douglas's appearance also changes. So, I mean, that because he takes yeah. off the white shirt and tie. After and he, he kills the vet, and he's, he's, he's on the path of the vet. He's becoming like a more militant person. But, you know, and I remember when this movie came out and I saw it, uh because i'm that old and uh (laughs) at the time it wasn't just la riots happening but it was also um postal worker going to work and shooting up the place you know this is right around the time where people started talking about someone going postal which was exactly this kind of a thing this this anxiety induced mental illness uh you know rampage kind of thing that you know this is kind of almost uh, you know, today you look at it and we're a lot more aware of mental health issues and talk about it a lot more openly than we did at the time. Uh, it's almost like a PSA for mental illness and also not only what's going on with him, but the relationship of Robert Duvall and his wife is a whole nother thing happening because Tuesday Weld's got a lot of issues happening at home with the kitty scratching her hand and all this kind of stuff. And I don't want to overcook <laughs> the chicken. So that's got a whole thing going on too. Uh, what was driving me crazy upon the rewatch was Barbara Hershey, the ex-wife, planning the birthday party for the little girl. And here the cops won't stay. She's talked to them about he's calling and threatening he's going to come. But we're going to keep going with the birthday party. I leaned over and smacked Nathan several times going, you cancel the birthday party when the psycho (laughs) ex-husband is possibly going to come over and shoot the place up. So I don't why she stayed there as long as she did and why she didn't call other parents and give them a heads up. You might want to keep little Cindy at home tonight. I mean, that I thought that part, that's a whole nother mental problem maybe but yeah but i mean it's it's definitely a movie that i remember really liking when i first saw it i still really like it because i think it does have a charged debate about it and it makes you think about a lot of things and it kind of hits head on a lot of things we discuss in in the world and a lot of problems unfortunately that we have as well but i also think it is one of michael douglas's but it may not be as iconic as gordon gecko in some ways but it's a lot more of i think an acting stretch in a lot of ways than what we've seen michael douglas do in other movies well you know i i wore out my vhs copy that i bought at best buy you know ages ago um, you're not so, that old 
that's what I bought. That's the true story. <laughs> so I've watched this movie a lot of times, but it's probably been 15 years since I really, you're Miami about 15 years, but it's been a while since I really watched it. And I, you know, he, he looks at that Nazi guy and he, it's kind of like a reflection of himself. I think that's intentional. Like he's, he's kind of, you're me, man, you're me. He says it about 10 times. Um, I, I think it's kind of ironic that we're a bunch of white people talking about this movie because I think ultimately <laughs> this movie is kind of a reflection on us too. I mean, you watch this and you kind of see yourself in this character, this um, uh, just really bitter at the world. And I, I, you know, we talked about the time. He followed all the rules. He talked about it. Well, and like, he did everything he was told to do and he's failing. I, and he doesn't get it. I was going to make another reference about the time period this was in because, you know, this is right after the 80s is kind of wrapped up. And, you know, I think we could have just about as easily cast uh, Eddie Vedder in this role. I and mean, it would have been a pretty good, you know, there, there's something about the anti-consumerism you know, authentic, you know, things that were kind of happening during that very period of time and just people trying to like look at themselves in a mirror for a change and, and dealing with that. And um, I, I totally agree with Alicia. I'm probably rambling like crazy here, but sorry. Uh, and I totally, oh, I totally agree with Alicia on the whole mental health, health thing. I mean, I think that's kind of one of the next big hurdles as we watch movies and we look at these horror movies in particular sometimes because there's always the psycho killer in a horror movie or whatever and we've treated them this way throughout history in the movies and now we're kind of getting to this point where it's okay there's a reason you have sympathetic feelings towards michael douglas because he's in pain he's struggling he's got real life problems which we all do i mean he's basically the opening scene is a panic attack which i didn't know what the heck a panic attack was when this came out um, now I do. And I, I watched it now and it was kind of like in slow motion because we've seen that depicted so many times now for what it actually is in film that it felt kind of like a boring example of that, honestly, this time, even though it's a really good example of what they were trying to do back then. Well, and I think, yeah, the sympathetic thing, you feel really sympathetic. I love that line too, that he gives at one point, I think he was in the military um, shop with the kind of Nazi guy where he says uh, I was either I, I was overeducated or underskilled or maybe it was yeah. the other way around maybe I was undereducated overskilled. I don't know but you know I just I lost or maybe my job it was the, and, maybe it was the reverse is what he said yeah yeah, yeah. that's that's <laughs> yeah. I think a really yeah. great line that kind of encapsulates a lot of his thought process right. it's uh it, it's one of those movies that I think you know one of the signs of a great piece of art is something that's controversial in its time but is something that you can watch at different ages in your life and get a completely different experience out of it. Um, I think this is a movie that you can watch again in 10 years or 20 years and your experience of it will be very different. Like you'll still like it for the reasons that you like it, but the story will take on a, de- a new meaning. Um, you know, I talked about fight club before kind of being like that. And I've talked about, um, as far as like literature, like Lolita is very much uh, that kind of book where it's it's controversial and problematic. But every ten to fifteen years, uh, checking that out again, you'll you'll have a different, uh, a better understanding of it or, or a different understanding of it. Um, as far as other movies that movies that have come out recently that I think are good candidates for being another falling down. Um, 10, 20, 30 years from now, 
Uh, I would say Joker. Todd Phillips' movie Joker is a movie that people are going to reassess in 10 years and be like, oh, this was actually about something real. Hmm. I agree with that for sure, because I I actually do really enjoy that film, and I know why there's a lot of controversy around it, but I agree, Dale. There's That's a good one to be in the same vein of. Um, and I think like I've always kind of been attracted to films like this because it helps me to gain perspective on the world uh, that I may not have seen. Like when at first, when I first saw this, I was much younger and like, even like Nathan with, you know, like I think I had a VHS copy and then the DVD copy too. Cause I enjoyed watching it so much from the performance, but I didn't get the social context of it until I was older. And especially this watch was like, Oh wow. I missed so much when I was younger, just taking in LA as a city, just taking in the time period, just taking in the vigilantism and all that stuff. And then looking at it with what's happened over the course of the last few years. And it's so, I don't know, just so, so like mind boggling and eye opening for me, especially because legit, not going to lie. I got real pissed off at a fast food joint the other day. Not so much that I wanted to shoot it up, but uh, it was not good. And I was I was like, what the fuck is going on with this country? And then I watched this and I was like, oh, fuck, I'm the bad guy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, like, I just was like, oh, no, I've become something that I didn't want to become. Like I knew was when I was younger that this film was controversial. And I was like, I don't want to talk to people like he talks to people. I don't want to act that way. Like I get where he's coming from, but that doesn't mean I want to emulate it. And then now just like seeing, you know, just how like age too sometimes just as you get older and society changes. And I see why like the reluctancy with, you know, boomers and uh, and in Gen X people and, and, and millennials. And it's like it's always a conflict because it's different levels of experience. We all experience the world differently in different time periods. And we take that with us forward. So like Gen Z's will never understand what Gen X's went through. You know, and all of that. And Gen X will like, get frustrated ah. at how the times are changed. Like, yeah, we're, all, I mean, we're frustrated by the world changing and have opinions about it. And maybe as mm-hmm. we get older, we get more vocal about it as well. So, well, so I was going to kind of take Zach's thing when he said just a step further is like, you know, okay, it, it wasn't so much that we maybe didn't, because we watched this movie so many dang times when we were younger, both of us. Mm-hmm. It wasn't so much that we weren't getting those messages out of the movie. It's just that we weren't necessarily aware we were getting them, maybe. And I, you know, yeah. I, I we talk about that what was in that Facebook feed and how some people have taken really terrible things away from this movie. But you know, I, I often kind of wonder to myself because I grew up in a conservative household, and you know, I, I had certain things that I was dealing with when I was growing up, and I've kind of become this other person based on things that I've experienced. And I have to kind of say, maybe this movie is one thing I should be citing. Uh, as one of those types of things, it's like a touchstone for me to kind of like, I could have taken two paths with my belief system. I didn't take the path of some of those folks on the, the Facebook thing. And I took this other path where I recognize the challenges this movie presents for what they actually are. And I just, I, I totally agree with Dale. I think this is just a great piece of art because of that. Not, you know, I mean, I know that it's challenging for some people, but that's the point of good art a lot of the time. And this really does that. Same, Nathan. I had that same thing where I could have diverged into two paths and based on my upbringing, 
You know, I love my parents and I love my family, but boy, they're Midwest. <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, not that this movie you know. turned us in who we are, but it's it's one no. of the many touchstones we've kind of come across, and this is how we took away from it. You know, truly. Yeah. Well, great suggestion, Zach. Uh, thanks everybody for the discussion on falling down, and we will see you on the next deeply discussing movie podcast. Thank you.